people reading that, but I mean, that's what I do when I interview people, go to their website, look up their bio, and it is kind of funny to hear it read aloud, but that is the story. <laughs> I, I don't think I changed much. I think I changed one line. That was about it. But anyway, yeah, so as I was saying right before we started that, you know, your show was the first one that I had found when I started getting interested in, in this kind of stuff, conspiracy stuff, paranormal, whatnot. And uh, I've been a subscriber since you started the Plus. Wow. Stuff. Yeah, Thanks. Yeah. no problem. Um, yeah, I remember when you started it, actually. People were all freaked, pissed off. So, oh, it's not free anymore. <laughs> right, That's right. Funny. But anyway, good times, good times. Hello, everyone who's joining us tonight. I just see Suzanne. Oh, Dave. Dave, Suzanne. Also, I like, I, um, as I put in, like, our Discord and stuff, I... Um, go boondocking out into the forest often it's weekly and you're my favorite always my favorite show to take me on the drive <laughs> there's usually something you know i love i love the content and um when i'm going out into nature i'm i'm i feel like i'm the most open i'm an open person anyway but i feel like i'm really stepping aside from this busy world that's happening around us and all the chaos. And one of the things that I enjoy is that you allow your guests to speak and finish uh, points and, and thoughts. Um, you're, you're super thoughtful as an interviewer, which is, it's rather rare. Thanks. I definitely try to be efficient with my questioning and get out of their way and let the guests talk because I started the show as a fan of things like Coast to Coast. And because at the time, pre-internet, that's really the only outlet for this kind of stuff, at least that I knew of. And George Norrie talks quite a bit. And before you know it, there's a commercial break. And now you're spending the first two minutes recapping where the guest was trying to get to. And I just felt like they could never get deeper than surface level because there just wasn't enough time. The formatting almost didn't allow for it. And of course, on the conspiracy side, Alex Jones, he never lets anybody talk either. So I really did what are you feel like, about? <laughs> I just <laughs> want to hear from these people and they don't have their own show. So let's build a stage, build a digital stage and just put them on it and let them express their, uh, their work their own way. And I think for the most part, it works. Yeah, it's, I think that um, allowing people to finish thoughts is a big deal. And, and like you, it's frustrating when I'm interested in what a guest is saying on other shows and the, the hosts continue to interrupt. It, it's fine to bring your own content to it, but it's like the interrupting that, ooh, it's frustrating. It is, it is. Sometimes people, it seems like they have podcasts just because they want to talk at these guests, these people that they've heard on other shows for sometimes years, you finally got Graham Hancock in front of you and you don't want to talk about his latest book. You want to talk at him the ideas you've been waiting, you've been holding on to for that whole duration of time. And it's definitely tempting to do that sometimes, but I try to make it all about the guests. They're a, they're a guest in your home. Speaking of, uh, good job on getting Thomas Sheridan. I'm surprised. I'm not surprised you had him on, but he's one of my favorite people on YouTube. I'm glad just to see him on your show. Oh, yeah. That's obviously the one I uploaded most recently today, and he was great. I think there's a lot to know about Druidic culture, and he seems to have a lot of that knowledge, and I really 
like going over that history of the Christian steamroll. And I'm, like you said in the intro, I'm bitter about my private school expulsion. <laughs> and so any chance to, um, you know, sling some mud their way, I'm, I'm taking that. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. And they're deserving. I... There's plenty of mud to sling at major religions. Oh, my God. Yeah. I haven't listened to it. I will be listening to it Saturday, though. I only got through the first half hour. So. Well, you're forgiven, I guess. Okay, thanks. It did just come out today. <laughs> pass for Jerry. <laughs> I have to go listen to it while um, I scarf so If you don't have anything, Jerry, I'll just start. I'll jump oh, in. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm done. Okay, cool. We wanted to make sure that we gave Greg our love because we're super fans. Um, all right, so let's let's get into the meat of this and start with the things, the earliest things you recall from this life that stick out. You know, it 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 could be anything insignificant, even a soda can, a commercial, um, TV shows you know, a joke your mom told, just what sticks out from your early childhood? Mm. Well, <laughs> there are, of course, those mundane things we remember. I think a lot of us try to think back to what's the earliest thing I can recall. And in my early childhood, as I was getting into kindergarten, you know, a little bit before that, my parents had a house built so I can kind of place things at an age based on, you know, where I was or what house I was at. Because uh, sometimes that's all so foggy, it's hard to parse out. But probably the earliest thing I can remember is I actually had meningitis when I was three, and uh, I ended up deaf in my right ear as a result. And the earliest thing I can remember is a doctor explaining to me, like, I'm feeling fine, just sitting there. I'm a three-year-old kid in an office. I just want to be anywhere else. And a doctor is trying to explain to me and my parents, like, how I'm going to hear from now on, which is really just, you know, plug one ear and there you can imagine it. But what I guess was weird to me at the time is the doctor saying, you know, he's going to be able to hear fine, but he's not going to know where sounds are coming from. And I just remember that being expressed. And that is true. Like to this day, like if my cell phone's ringing, I can hear it, but I hear only in my left ear. So I'm like, I have to turn my head around to try to gauge where it's loudest from. It's a weird thing, but it can be really frustrating. Um, it's, it's just something I've lived with. It really doesn't bother me. I consider myself to have a really lucky life with very little strife. And in terms of just earliest memory, that's got to be it. That was three years old. So that's pretty early, I guess. Do you, when you heard that, how did you feel about that? Like emotionally, was it, did it seem, how did you, how did you perceive it? I was pretty fine with it. It really didn't bother me. I just was like, huh, that's curious. Okay. So I'm going to hear differently. I'm hearing you explain it to me right now and I'm having no problem. So uh, it's just a weird thing. And I guess I was pretty cool with it and unaffected because I really didn't know what I was missing, I guess, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how I was thinking about that. That was kind of your normal anyway. So yeah, I mean, it became that real quick. Like you're three, so you don't realize. I'm sure I was very sick. My parents have told me I was pretty sick during the process. And so when you come out of that, you just probably have no recollection of what the stereo sound was like. Yeah. 
Yeah. And plus it's always just better to feel better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mom's crying. And so I'm sitting there oh, and man. that's probably why I remember, you know, because yeah. it's a little bit dramatic. Yeah, of course. Did you, um, in that, in, so in this kind of earlier stage of your life, did you have a relationship with the natural world at all? Or were you an indoor kid? I was pretty much an indoor kid, um, only child. And so it took me till getting into kindergarten grade school to really be able to go out with a couple of guys and have those backwoods adventures. But in the Midwest, you know, you climb over that back fence and there's plenty of wooded area that seems scary, but of course it's relatively safe and it's surrounded by other subdivisions. Yeah. Definitely loved the adventure of getting out there for sure when you can. Were you did were you afraid of things when you're little, like um the proverbial thing under the bed or in the closet? I would say I had periods of time where that was true. Like I saw Chucky child's play. I saw that way too early. And that definitely uh we went through some turmoil with me thinking that that thing was somewhere in my <laughs> Oh my god, Chucky was was a fright. <laughs> No, that's my dad's fault because I do specifically remember watching it on TV and my mom being like, being like, you know, maybe not, maybe not this one. And I was like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. And then sure enough, you have those effects later. And it's like, that's what you get. You should have known better. Did you, were you having like, were you having nightmares or anything from the Chucky experience? Not that I can specifically recall. I just remember needing like that cliche thing of like needing your dad to come in and, and make sure he looks in every dark corner because you think there might be a, a little murdering man inside a retail doll somewhere in there. <laughs> but another early experience, uh, another memory I have that's really early would be in the kindergarten age because we were having this house built in this subdivision and there's plenty of open lots still. So it's a really that subdivision's only maybe 20% developed. And so my parents are walking me around it and we get to the end of a cul-de-sac and I'm looking down in this ravine and I see a cryptid thing. And what's crazy is that I can't match it to really any description that I've heard. I do a show where I interview people about cryptids and it wasn't a Mothman thing. It wasn't a Wolfman. It wasn't a Yeti. It was a weird... When I saw Stranger Things, if you took the head, the flowery head off of that thing, it almost was like that, like had an arched back, was on, on all fours, and then definitely recognized me. That was what was the weirdest thing, is the intelligence of it. Like I could tell, like, this isn't just an animal. I had dogs and cats. I was like, oh, shit, this thing locked eyes with me, and it is processing that it's not supposed to be seen. And sure enough, it pretty much took a few steps and somewhat vanished. I mean, I never saw it dissipate. I was juggling, like trying to get my parents over there to see it and keeping an eye on it. Cause you know, me and my parents, we played jokes on each other from time to time. So I'm like, mom, dad, come here, you gotta see this. And they're like, okay, sure. You know, they weren't rushing over to see whatever it was I was trying to describe. And my description was so strange to them. They definitely thought I was kidding. I think I said it was like, hey, look, there's this weird bear thing. And they're like, well, we know there's not a bear out here. So I don't know. This kid's just trying to scare us, doing his thing. But once I realized it was going to be gone and they weren't going to see it, man, did I burst into tears. I was just so, not that I was scared of the thing. I was just really 
dealing with the weight of knowing that I'm the only person who saw this. And that's really frustrating because you can't fix it now. It's gone. And uh, I made my parents go door to door to a few houses and say, have you ever seen anything weird about <laughs> your house? And they're like, oh, kid, go home. get out of here. And uh, sure enough, that's another very early memory. And <laughs> I'm stuck with it. That's uh, that's awesome. It's it's kind of scary when the the thing that does um, stick out in that too, which you pointed out, is when it's awareness of you. Yeah. And so, in that in that moment, were you? Did you have like a fight or flight instinct going there? What 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 exactly was going on for you at that particular moment? It really. I mean, it it was. First, you know, what am I seeing? And, and even now, the memory is very fuzzy, except for that, like, you know, with memories, there's sometimes little details that stick out to you, and the rest is kind of foggy. It's the detail of it, like, knowing I was looking at it, like, having eyes in the back of your head and just turning, locking eyes with me and being like, oh, shit. Uh, it didn't seem scared as much as it seemed like I'm supposed to be something behind the scenes that isn't seen by people, and here we are. We're locking eyes, and it just kind of went from four, or maybe a hunched over on four legs to, and it, it had a humanoid shape, I would say, like that Stranger Things creature. It kind of has a four-legged yet humanoid shape, head, two arms, two legs, um, and then it kind of got up on two legs, on its hind legs, and just took a few major steps, and then it was kind of out of view. and. The, the real thing, it wasn't necessarily fight or flight as much as it was just a mad panic to get someone else to confirm that this was real and that they mm -hmm. saw it too. And, you know, because I was okay with seeing it, really. I mean, I, I, maybe I'm just open to a lot of things. I'm okay with being half deaf. I'm okay with seeing crazy monsters in my neighborhood. <laughs> but I just didn't want to deal with that alone. And now that I'm older and I think about like, maybe your life is somewhat destined and these kind of ideas. I look back at the story of Greg Carlwood's life and it, it obviously has a place and it feels like I had to see it alone. Like it's kind of wouldn't work if my parents saw it. And we just talked about this every night at dinner. Did you end up seeing anything else after that? Not like immediately, but I mean, over time as a, as a youngster. No, actually, I, that was the only strange thing I have ever seen up until doing psychedelics in, uh, you know, post-college even, like early 20s. And that was about it. <laughs> cool. Did you, in, the, in your early days, did you like sci-fi? And I mean, you, you obviously you watched Chucky and horror. Was that something you always gravitated towards? I actually... I'm pretty horror averse. I don't really like horror movies because I just don't, that's not the feeling I want to invoke with my entertainment necessarily. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll go and watch every five years or so. There'll be one that they're just like, oh, this is the one. You got to see it. And I, I go to check out those because I like just movies in general, but they have to be those AAA horror movies to watch. Like this year, it was A Quiet Place. Everybody's talking about how good A Quiet Place is. Had to see it. Uh, the Messengers was another one a few years ago. Everybody's like, this is the creepy one. Got to check it out. But I don't really like horror. To me, it was comedy, definitely sci-fi. I was a big Tim Burton fan, and I was a kid that wanted to be a director 
So I had a little bit of the poser element where I'm like a huge Kubrick fan and I'm this like 14 year old kid with the Stanley Kubrick box set. Like how appropriate is that? <laughs> so, like, those movies contain. I'm watching Lolita and I'm younger yes. than the girl who's underage. I'm like, <laughs> but you know, I, I sure. liked all movies. I was an only child. So entertainment was a big deal until you get into, you know, the weekends is all you get even in grade school. So it kind of felt like a prison a lot of times, just the suburban house, the boring situation with no internet, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, a lot of video games, a lot of television. And that's just the way it was, I think, for a lot of people, especially if they were only children. You know, I had, had friends in the neighborhood, but slim pickings, I would say. Did you guys ever play Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> See, that's the problem is I was down for that, but the neighborhood kids mm. I was friends with, they were the sports type. So, you know, they're, they're, we're doing roller hockey in the street. We're doing kickball. And I'm not getting a lot of D&D &D out of these guys, unfortunately. <laughs> what, what video games did you play? I mean, pretty much everything there was. I was, uh, I don't want to say spoiled, but I was definitely an only child that my parents felt that I was restless and in need of entertainment and uh so i pretty much had it all from the nintendo super nintendo sega right on up playstation xbox and you know your show is about dreaming and i thought about this because i don't have the most vivid dreams anymore in my life and they say that video games definitely affect dreams as does marijuana and so these two things i think are you know, I'd have to look up reasons why people don't remember their dreams, but I think these two things are pretty high on the list and mm -hmm. they still consume my life. So I'm not that surprised. I've heard it both ways on cannabis. So, yeah, the cannabis actually gives me, um, heightens my dreams. Plus I would think it, it would. That would be my first intuition, but I hear the opposite and I guess I can't really argue with it. It's, it could also be programming you too, because you, you think it's bad, you're doing it and you. It's a feedback loop. Right. Yeah. I loved Mega Man, yeah. by the way. <laughs> I loved Mega Man. Mega Man is great. It is tough, but it is a good one for sure. God, it was one of my favorites. <laughs> Which game was it? Mega Man. But, uh, you got to know the Jerry. right powers. You got to go at the guys in the right order because you got to get Woodman's gun to beat yeah. And Frogman's not going down on his own. You're going to need Bubble Man. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, had, I, I did have an original Xbox, and I had Halo, and I got so stuck in it, I said, fuck this. I'm never I'm playing this shit anymore. So, yeah. Halo's an amazing game. I got stuck in a room and was there for a week and just said, fuck this game. <laughs> I actually think, intuitively, I would think video games and weed would help you with your dreams because weed unlocks creativity and creativity and the imagination and the power of visualization are all kind of related and video games is about controlling yourself kind of out of body in a simulated environment or in a different environment in a dreamlike environment perhaps so i don't know maybe that hurts your ability to imagine though because you're having your imagination kind of painted for you you know you're not doing the visualization as you would if you read a book you're just walking into a world created for you so maybe that hurts the imagination well it's also your brain is impaired when you're under the influence of that regardless of what you think i mean it's not operating optimally 
Video games, weed, or both? Weed, just weed. <laughs> yeah, My clarity. Yeah, both and, right? For about a decade, unfortunately. What's that? My brain hasn't been optimal then for about a decade. I'm pretty <laughs> I got you beat, and, dude. I got you so beat. Um, so when you moved into, um, okay, so first of all, in this early period, would you, you kind of alluded to it, but you were, you were pretty much dreaming a lot in the early days, for sure, sounds like. Yeah, the, some, I had some early dreams, kind of classic things you can't really describe, but I do remember one that was like this crazy sci-fi invasion thing and i just woke up being like if you could recreate that on film you would have a blockbuster on your hands because that was nuts but do you remember the details of it just kind of your classic invasion thing where you look up in the sky and ships just kind of warp into that airspace and then they're they're coming down and it's just a big chaotic war zone uh, that's really one of the older dreams that I can remember. And something else that's kind of common amongst my dreams is I feel like they're pretty intense. Like even today, when I do remember one, when I wake up, I wake up like exhausted. Like I just had this crazy, epic, just wild, full day. And now I'm waking up and it's like, now I need a nap. Like it's kind of messed up. Don't you ever feel like that? Like your dreams can be so intense that you're, you, you almost need a break as soon as you wake up rather than feeling relaxed and refreshed? Yes. And you know, I'm sure you already know this. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of chatter about why that is. And I, I kind of want to redirect that at you. Why do you think that is? Hmm. Well, to me, it indicates that it's more than just your brain running a screensaver while you sleep. Mm-hmm. I mean, that to me is uh, some kind of clue that that's not the right model. I think the real experience is to some degree, and that's kind of hard to quantify, like what is a real experience and like how, how can they possibly be real? Like if you run into people you know in your dreams, you don't talk to them in waking life and have them remember, at least I've never, that's never been my experience. So that always is what's weird to me about dreams is the fact that you can see people and places that you know and have wild adventures in them, but yet you come back to waking life and nothing's disturbed and no one has that memory with you. I don't know. Have you encountered people that actually did have something similar going on in I a dream? Not. I mean, I have not had someone be like, like I would love for this to happen someone says hey dude you were in my dream last night and I say yeah you were in mine and then we say yeah we went over here and we went fishing oh yeah I definitely remember that um that obviously is pretty rare I think mm -hmm. but um that's the kind of thing that would really make me feel a lot more stable with my model for dreaming I mean to me it, it could be anything but it's it's definitely somewhat real I mean is it just the the mind disconnecting from the body and going on its own adventures and some non-physical reality that somewhat mirrors the current physical world it's hard to know i like i had just i just rewatched i hadn't seen this movie since it was in the theater and i just rewatched it last night and um 
with new eyes because it's been so many years since it was out avatar and i liked the premise of because this, this fits into what we're talking about as far as feeling exhausted and they even address it so you go to you what is the dreaming you know they were addressing that in avatar and um so you know you're you're being super active and lucid in this experience and then you go to sleep and you can be super active and lucid in that experience and i wonder sometimes if you know i i actually wonder what's what's really real and with these exhaustion um waves that come over some of us after a night of heavy dreaming if you know, it gives a little validity to me since there's no real proof that we are actually living somehow in a way that we're not getting enough sleep. I understand that there's science around maybe sleep apnea and how you're actually, your physical body might not be getting enough oxygen and stuff like that. But it's fun to ponder these kind of fringy ideas that we're living other lives at the same time and the portal into this experience of waking is is the dream experience and then um you know and it makes me wonder deeper about what is the nature of that the dream that we experience from this side right what makes it hard for me to parse out is that there's no real consequences in the dream space. And you would think that, especially with the epic scale of some of those experiences, that there would be some kind of consequence. Like we never have a situation where your friend Dave just doesn't wake up the next day. And you're like, well, I guess he didn't make it through his dream adventure. Like that isn't really something that happens. So, hmm, I mean, they definitely have value. Is it all symbolic? Hard to know. But what what about if it's like if it's the experience is totally different because obviously the language is symbolic mm-hmm. and um, and so it's and first learning the language of symbols especially your own as tied into the collective is can be a chore. Um, but what if it's a totally different experience where maybe those symbols that seem like there should be heavy consequences were just that instead of Dave dying in the dream, you know, maybe he just it, he came to the end of a cycle, you know, he got a new job or something. And like, I, I don't know. I, I, that's why I'm questioning. Oh, yeah, I think that's the right kind of question to ask. I have those same kind of questions myself. I think it's a shame that everybody knows about this phenomenon and yet isn't curious why don't we have years and years of study on it you go to indigenous cultures they seem to be pretty comfortable with it and they seem to have a better handle on its composition and its effects in a lot of cases than we do and i think it's sad because i don't think science is useless and it would be nice if people who had the education we're a little more open to the fact that it is more than a screensaver and it's worth exploring. There's really not a lot of drugs that can be sold for dreaming. So hmm. that's, there's not a lot of scientific research. <laughs> Bingo, into it, that's you know. probably part of it. Ambien apparently works wonders. Ambien they, oh my the, God, people uh, living whole different lives on Ambien. I know. Uh, sh- shant- sh- Shantix. Shantix? The quit smoking one? That one. Yeah, but Ambien, where people are actually live, getting up and having... Sleep driving, sleep eating, yeah. 
sleep sex and like going to places. It's crazy. Sleep sex. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> well, it just, it brings in a lot of, you know, I have a lot of questions with that. So with, so, okay, back in, back to younger Greg. So when you moved into, um, okay, actually I want to know like what TV shows were you enjoying as a, just a younger person? Hmm. Well, I watched, I was a weird kid. I watched a lot of Nick at night. So I'm watching Lucy. I'm watching Mary Tyler Moore, Dick Van Dyke, um, Twilight Zone when it would actually, you know, come on. But of course, back in the 90s, you're kind of limited uh, with what you even have access to. And so my TV was pretty much tuned to Nickelodeon, Nick at night, Ninja Turtles, that kind of stuff. I mean, when we're talking real young, but, uh, I was always kind of military averse. I never really liked G.I. Joe. I thought that was uh, boring and just, just I don't know, it repelled me. And I was more into the weirder stuff like Ghostbusters and Ninja Turtles, like these mutant cryptids in the sewer. Like, yeah, that's what I'm about. Give me that. Like, why, <laughs> who cares about um, machine guns and, and jets and American flags? I wasn't super big on that. You so, know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was disclosure for the Hollow Earth. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I, that. I'm sold. I'm sold. <laughs> That's awesome. Did, so when you got into school, and so as an only child, and then so you moved from that kind of early place, and then you're in school, how did, did your dream life change at all when you started having more interaction with a, a broader spectrum of people? Well, the ne if I were to jump to the next time, I can really remember dreams having a major effect on me. It was probably finishing school because I had, like a lot of people express, a long pattern of repeating full days of school after I was supposed to be done with it. And I think that's a testament to how much I didn't like it and how freeing I thought it would be to be out of it. I would go through these dreams of just a mundane day of school and I would be sitting in that desk thinking, aren't we supposed to be done with this? Like that was what was weird is I was conscious in the dream that it was supposed to be done, yet here we are, nobody thinks it's weird. I'm the only one with these ideas. I guess I wasn't expressing them to the other people around me, they're just thoughts. Uh, but you wake up from those dreams and you're like, damn it, you know, because you really do feel like you did go through that day. Or I'd, I'd have the dream, even in the dreams, like the clock would hit three o'clock and I'd be like, okay, now we're done. And it's like, no, we're still not done. Nobody's getting up. And it really did feel like this prison. And going, going through that over and over again in dreams is just not fun. I'm sure you guys have had that experience. I think that's pretty common. Yeah, that the thought of just continuing that kind of experience almost to me, and I say this in jest, but it's kind of nightmarish. <laughs> like, I didn't like school at all. I, and um, it, just uh, my whole problem with governance, period. But um, yeah, to have that continue on into dreams and it just being a never ending cycle seems unpleasant. Indeed. I mean, well, oh, go ahead. That I actually wanted to get a little bit of um, your insight on the feeling of going to school, even though you just gave us a little bit. Were you, did you question the process 
that you were going through with being in school and learning that way? Was it a public school? Uh, it was a private school, and my parents were pretty cool. Like, they didn't shove a lot of stuff down my throat. They let me be a kid. You know, they let me get a little crazy. And so when I then went to school, and it is this kind of rigid private school with, you know, half the teachers are nuns, and it was really authoritarian and limiting. And I just thought, whoa, this is a, a big change from home. And I thought it was just, I, I was too stubborn and rebellious for my own good. There were definitely reasons to be stubborn and anti-establishment, but I think I took that way too far and threw the baby out with the bathwater and probably didn't take the good parts of, you know, going to school and stuff, especially in college. Like I kind of just screwed off in college and then dropped out because I didn't want to be another cog in the machine. That's great, but that doesn't mean that the whole institution is valueless and you can't get a lot out of it when you're there. I could have been a philosophy major or something perhaps. You know, but I was just like, screw this whole thing. You know, from from first grade on up, I just thought I knew what was best and I wouldn't listen to anybody. And I'm having all these parent teacher conferences about not living up to my potential. And I'm wow. like, well, what are you doing? You know, you're a teacher in this shitty school in Arnold, Missouri. Like, what do you got <laughs> to say? You know, oh, that, that, that not living up to your potential is like this dog whistle that your kid's too smart for our school. Yeah. Well, well, it really bothered me because it's like, what do you, how do you know what my potential is? Let right, me right. tell you, you know, you, what do you know about me? You're just saying that because it's a cliche thing to say. It's a, it's a way of saying he won't do what I want him to do. You know, uh, his potential in their eyes is just being obedient. Mm -hmm. Well, screw that. I think I'm living up to my potential now. I feel, you know, early thirties and basically retired. So those teachers can fuck off. <laughs> Rock on brother. Did you, um, <laughs> man, Greg, I just adore you. Uh, um, were you, okay. So were you, the, I, I think we kind of all know this, but what was your, were you brought up with any kind of religion? Yeah, it was a Catholic school. So I didn't get it that bad at home. I had yeah. to go to mass on Sundays for a while, but even that, like earlier than any of my friends, I got out of that. As soon as I was like in the third, fourth grade, confirmation's over. And I'm like, you know, what are we doing here? And my dad's like, yeah, I don't want to waste my Sunday. I only get two days off a week. If my kid's not going to, if he's going to make this this painful, then let's just stop. Yeah. And uh, then once the internet became a thing, like my dad really went down the rabbit hole of, oh, maybe all this religion stuff is a big lie. And that was great. We kind of did that together. And I don't blame him. His upbringing was a lot more religious and a lot more strict. And so, and he had fewer resources in which to get out of that paradigm. But that was kind of a cool thing to go through that together, kind of sharing links back and forth, like, hey, watch this or watch the first zeitgeist. And it talks about astrotheology and maybe this is going on. Here's a video on the Council of Nicaea. Here's something about the Book of Enoch and these other books that are left out of the Bible. So, I mean, yeah, it was, it was a, a religious upbringing to the point that I was there at school every day, and it was jammed down your throat there. Mm -hmm. But since I didn't get it at home, 
it wasn't quite as bad. The indoctrination wasn't as bad as some of my friends. I didn't have to go through this crisis of consciousness and rediscovering myself in these college years because I had a couple of friends who really, it hit them hard when that bubble was broken. And to me, it was always half broken. So it was more just like, okay, this is just part of the shitty school experience. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. Like, I don't like a lot of things about this. Religion is just another one. I love that your dad brought you and your dad had that time like that. Your dad sounds awesome. Did, was your mom on board with all that questioning and the whole, I mean, I remember that Zeitgeist movie. Yeah. Well, my mom is not, she didn't really, she's not tech savvy. You know, she did not really get into the internet a whole lot, but she does surprise me all the time. Well, she's, she's very, uh, She's very quick and very sharp, and she doesn't buy into a lot of the bullshit, even though she watches like pretty much mainstream, the Today Show kind of stuff. I am shocked how little it actually affects her. Like, I didn't have any fights with my parents in this last election about the fact that Trump and Hillary were both not the best leaders. And a lot of friends, even in their 30s, are still having to go back to mom and dad and at Thanksgiving dinner there's arguments over which one of these two criminals, which one of these two egotistical, selfish, greedy monsters we should support. Like, I'm very lucky that I never had that kind of stuff at home. My parents were way past that kind of thing. Um, so, it, it, you know, it is funny. Like, my mom listens to the show now. She listens to it on YouTube because that's some, one easy way to digest it. And then there will be a day where... where you know, I'll talk to her and she'll be like, oh, you know, I was just sitting around. I watched a documentary on YouTube about how many people the Clintons have killed. It's just like, yes. um, what's, what's the body count up to right now? <laughs> I, it's definitely, I think in the in 30s, it just depends on how, you know, how, um, how far you want to, what, what kind of magnifying glass yeah, you want right. to put on. Because, you know, you can take it as secretary of state. I mean, we're talking hundreds. Yeah, maybe that's thousands. where I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Probably, may, definitely thousands, maybe mm. millions. <laughs> right. I mean, honestly, honestly, you want you need to drugs into Maynard, Arkansas, all the way up from there to Secretary of State. Right. Yeah, responsible right. for millions of deaths. Right. Not to mention Clinton's time as president. Yeah, there's a lot there for sure. <laughs> it's it's it says so much about your family unit that what you just said that you all can come together and um that they're not ju- they're not they sound very non-judgmental and open and um have done a good job. So I'm commending your parents, Greg. You're you're lucky. I do think I'm pretty lucky. Um I some I think I got too much leash at times, but you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> well, not, and enjoy not, it. Yeah, exactly. It might not be where I am if I didn't have a little more leash to feel like I could, you know, get something done on my own. Well, you're cl- and you're also you're you're actually giving back to the world, to the community. So that's also another success with with whatever the trajectory of this circum set of circumstances that you led to. What sign are you? Uh, I'm an Aries. Oh, interesting. I love an Aries, all that energy. Definitely. Um, okay. So let's, I want to, you kind of, you gave us a little teaser about this earlier and we love this subject. Um, so psychedelics and how they did or did not open your mind to a bigger slice of reality. 
Well, I was definitely a late bloomer in that regard. I didn't drink until I was 20. And then that's when the dominoes started to fall because I pretty much drank the Kool-Aid that I didn't need any of that stuff and didn't want any of that stuff. And then getting drunk with my buddies, I was like, wow, this is actually quite fun. And they're like, oh, well, if you like this, you know, once we get you high, then you're really going to have a good time because we think that's more your speed. And they were right. It surely was. And from there, you're like, okay, well, what else is... What else has been, have I been lied to about? Where has the system kind of brainwashed me into thinking a certain way? And I went down that rabbit hole a little bit more. I was a huge fan of comedy. And a lot of the comedians that I thought were the most raw and truthful and enlightening, they would make these references to psychedelics. Through one reference that Bill Hicks made to Terrence McKenna, I then went down the Terrence McKenna rabbit hole. And so, you know, you're absorbing everything he says about mushrooms and the psychedelic experience and sounded great to me. So the first time I ever did anything more serious than weed was in college in Columbia, Missouri. The night Obama came to town, we were all jazzed up. This was when he was brand new and every he's just the most exciting thing going on. And here's this internet candidate, young dude, black dude. He's cool. He smoked weed. We're all ready for it. Uh, we went and saw him speak. And then came back and did mushrooms and walked around town. And I mean, it was great. Pretty normal, classic experience. Then the, the time I, you know, that was most impactful was uh, I had some friends out here and they wanted to try salvia. And salvia was something you can buy at a head shop. So I was like, well, I've done mushrooms. This is nothing. Uh, I've done salvia one other time and it just made me dizzy like I spun around in an office chair. So no big deal. Let's do it. Fine. Just a little um, thing for the Midwesterners to do to feel really cut loose in California. So we got some, sat around the living room, smoked it, and I blasted off. I definitely had my first out-of-body experience. I met a male and female entity. We can call them energies. I mean, it's everything's non-physical, but they definitely seemed um, solid and separate from myself. But you can talk to people who've gone all the way through the ranks of the OTO, and they still aren't sure if entities are separate from themselves or if the holy guardian angel is anything other than your deep subconscious. So who am I to say? But I met these two beings, and the guy was very jazzed up. And like he's like, yes, I'm so psyched that you're here. We know you. And I felt like I knew them. I really felt not freaked out at all that I was out of body. It felt like a very familiar thing. And that's like really key when I hear a lot of people talking about near-death experience and that kind of thing. When people say that, that resonates with me so much because I find that to be really illogical. Why does it feel normal? Like, but it really, really did. You feel more yourself, like you shed off some aspects that weren't yourself or like your clothes. You know, you know your clothes aren't you and I don't feel more comfortable when I take them off. So maybe that's not the best analogy, but I felt really comfortable without having that skin. And that's kind of the day my life changed. I mean, I was kind of an atheist at that point because I just was so rebellious and against the upbringing that I had and screw the schools, there is no God. And then after that, I was like, wow, chill out. You don't know everything. This argument that, just because you wouldn't believe in God if no one told you about it, that is not an intelligent argument. That's something you need to get past. And there is definitely a whole nother world out there. And, you know, I'd say that is when I really became a psychonaut or really felt 
like there's way more out there than just what you can see. I hear this is something I hear over. I've not done salvia, but I'm super curious to actually, because I keep hearing the same thing from people is that whatever, and the, some people experience one entity or two or whatever, but that there's something about, they're always happy that you broke through or came over. And I'm so curious about that. Mm -hmm. It's, it seems, um, it's very mysterious and alluring and it also kind of seems unnerving. Yeah, it did. It, it was disorienting for sure. And I could, I was actually had, I had moments where I knew I was away from the room in which my body was in and I could, I couldn't even feel my friends shaking me, but I could tell that I could like almost see them shaking me. And I was like, Oh man, if I'm over here, who knows what, what that body looks like. It probably looks like I'm dead or something. Like I was pretty casual about the whole thing. And I remember feeling like, oh, should I go back to the body and get back in there and tell them that everything's okay? Or should I just push this a little further and see where it goes? Because I'll be back. They'll figure it out. We'll get it. We'll get, we'll solve that in a minute, but this is all new. And that's what I went for. And so I just talked to them. I really just absorbed their feelings because it wasn't real language. It's more like a perception. The guy's really excited and jazzed up, happy for me to be there. And the female energy is more cynical and like being like, why are you wasting your time talking to him? You know, he's going to be gone in five minutes. Like this isn't, this isn't the real, this isn't the real deal. So just chill out. And that was the, the yin and the yang personalities I was experiencing with these two beings. And there's also a weird sing song equality to the transform, like when you are transported, or at least for me, it's like a, it's like almost like a children's song I can't recognize. Um, almost like like a chorus of kids singing "Row, row, row your boat" in this really methodic way with instruments that I've never heard in my life and strange voices. And that song, I would hear that kick in, and I'd be like, "Oh boy, here we go." Because I went back a couple of times and had similar experiences, but with diminishing returns. And then I just stopped doing salvia altogether, mainly because of those diminishing returns, partly because I feel like I freaked out my now wife when we did it. And I came back, I was like, I almost didn't come back. I almost didn't come back at all. <laughs> you know, that's not something you want to hear from the person you signed up to spend your life with. Right. <laughs> it's also not true. Like, again, again, with the dream, like the dreaming thing, nobody is actually not coming back. It's not like, Salvia is one of these things where it's just part of the experience. Sometimes your friends stay out of body. No, you always come back. So there's this false perception that I had a choice, I think. But the re another reason I stopped is because I read these reports of salvia online, and it is an aggressive drug. I feel like it is not wading into the waters. It is like a cannonball. It's like someone grabs you by the hair and throws you in. Uh, it is kind of aggressive, but I do think I'm energetically dense and kind of need something aggressive. But I was reading these reports of people who actually would come back depressed because they would live entire lifetimes in that 10 minute trip. And they would have a wife and kids and grandparents, and then it would all just wipe away and they'd come back to this reality. And that was like, depressing and really hard to process. And I stopped before something like that happened because I could see it being possible and I don't need that. So I just kind of was like, you saw what you needed to see. 
when you get the message, hang up the phone, leave that world till your death. If it is the same world, I think it is. I don't know. That's kind of what I, what I was going to ask next is what do you put your chops around it now? And with all the people you've talked to and all that, I mean, do you have any inkling of what you think it is? I mean, it's clearly seems to be a tangible and a real experience. And a lot of people tie it in with what they think might be part of the death experience. So I'm wondering what you. I mean, I'm pretty much open to anything, but if I had to put my money on an option, it would be that death, dreaming, and the psychedelic experience are all related and possibly that you're going to that same place. But I also think that might be naive or simplistic. And maybe they are all three different experiences, but I don't know. There's so many similarities and little clues you get that they're the same. Like for me with the psychedelic thing, I felt like it was very normal, a normal experience. Like I felt like shedding my body. I was very comfortable with that. Well, why would I be comfortable with that? It almost speaks to me of reincarnation. It almost speaks to me that I'm doing this every night in my dreams and just forget about it. Like it seemed like that. It, it seemed like as soon as I was out of body, I now had the memory that I am more in this state than I am in that physical self. And maybe that was an illusion, but that was the gut reaction. So I would say, I think they're all the same or similar. You look at indigenous cultures. I mean, that's one clue we get sometimes. Our Western society isn't looking into it. So you, you go out to these pockets that haven't been steamrolled by the Roman Catholic war machine. Mm-hmm. And you see that their cultures kind of think of these things as similar. It's almost like, psychedelic out-of-body experiences and dreamings are preparation for death. And that's kind of a model that I appreciate. Yeah, I, I'm, I feel like we're all kind of learning, learning the language through to get there and be there. What, do you, when you've experienced, so I know you don't experience dreaming as much as you did at one point, but when in your, in your life of um, recall, w- what experiences have you had with higher states of lucidity? So, you know, there's a lot of language under there, out of body. Um, I just think it's all states of lucidity. And so have you been fully awake in a dream where you know you're dreaming and your dreaming self is separate from your sleeping shell? You know, in, this, in the way that it's described to me, I feel like I haven't had that full lucid experience, but a lot of times I do feel like I'm consciously driving my actions in the dreams and it doesn't feel strange or foreign. It's almost like taken for granted in the same way that it's taken for granted in waking life. It's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm in control here. I'm doing what I want to do. If I'm, you know, horse riding down the street and I take a right, well, I made the choice to do that. I don't know why I'm horse riding down the street, but I'm still kind of there. It's a weird thing, but I kind of, you know, we talked a little bit about movies or you mentioned Avatar. I like Dark City as the analogy for dreaming because in that movie, you wake up, the, the kind of the, the catch of the film is that people wake up and they think that they're, they've had these long lives, but you're just preloaded with all the memories and you really have no idea what happened before you woke up. I mean, you were out and now you're in. Mm-hmm. You know, we just think that 
well, I guess I was asleep for eight hours and I'm living the same life I've always lived. But in that movie, it's just preloaded memories. And I just th thought that was really fascinating when I was younger. I don't think that's <laughs> the real deal, but I have the lucidity aspect. It's like, I never just say, oh, I'm in a dream. Now I'm going to go fly. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm driving the experience, but it still doesn't feel like I'm some, uh, you know, Mickey Mouse wizard that can just conjure up whatever. And you, that's, I guess, the kind of lucidity that I always hear people talk about. Yeah. I, Dark City was a, it's a great analogy, great movie. There are a lot of great movies that really teeter on all this. Yes. Um, yeah, the Mickey Mouse, the Mickey Mouse thing. I mean, there's everyone's, this is what's so great about dreaming is we all have access to it, right? And so, it, and, and we're all different and we all have our own experiences and our own set of symbols and that tie into the collective, but it, it's just so fascinating how different everyone is and, and not in a, in a snowflakey way, you know, <laughs> um, have you experienced anything like a deja vu that kind of tied into, into dreams or, um, have you been able to pinpoint where, why you remember the deja vus happening, the source of it? Well, I do have deja vus pretty much all the time, and they're almost always mundane. And that's also, I think, a common feature of- Very common, yeah. The experience. So I don't really know where they come from. I sometimes wonder, like, is this just the human experience of time? And kind of like in that interstellar way, when he's experiencing in the regular world, his daughter keeps having books come off the shelf and they just think it's some kind of ghost-like thing, like, you know, classic ghost story of things moving around in the house. Why are these books coming off the shelf? And then when he experiences the non-physical side of reality, it's him. He's trying to give his own daughter clues by knocking out books on her shelf because he's like, in the, on the, in the spirit world, he can kind of affect matter, but not really so it's like you know using all your all your spiritual energy to kind of push those books out and he's kind of going back in time mm -hmm. and uh i think that that possibly could be it is that you're kind of just maybe experiencing everything at once but our human perception is this singular timeline or maybe we're sometimes in the dream world and we see parts of our timeline out of place out of order i don't know but the reason it's all mundane stuff to me so it does just feel kind of like a glitch in the matrix kind of thing yeah that that was um i really enjoyed that that line of thought in interstellar it, it, i thought that was very clever and definitely has been one of my ponders over the years yeah um so on kind of on this idea that you just um widened for us there's this idea of like free will and destiny right or predestined stuff are the the pillars in, in any kind of occultish you know uh symbology of fate and intent and where do you where do you stand on that with our within our um within the state of consciousness we call waking so what do you think there's a there's something to fate or preordained stuff or is free will is is where are you on the sliding scale are you even off the scale i think it's a definitely both elements are in play 
as I look back, I think some things are destined. I mean, I mentioned that I'm deaf in my right ear and that came from meningitis. No one knows why a three-year-old kid gets meningitis. My parents were told that I was probably playing with some dirty water, like some stagnant water, because we used to go on fishing trips to these lakes and you know, the water might be dirty, gets in your ear. That's a theory. That's an idea that the doctor randomly threw out there and I was told, but that doesn't mean that he was there and saw it happen or knows the source. And I've seen uh, the movie Vaxxed. They make, I need to see it again, but it was, it's so rapid fire with information. They talk about a vaccine in the 80s. I was born in 85. I was three years old when I got meningitis, right in the time frame in which people do get vaccines. But in Canada, they had one that meningitis was a side effect. And so they got rid of it. You know, a lot of times these corporations, they don't destroy the stuff. They put it in other markets. And, you know, when they do find out something's bad, Bayer got in trouble with that. They had painted blood, painted with HIV. They just pulled it off the American hospital shelves and used it in other areas of the world. And they got caught doing that. So that's the kind of cost analysis they do. I don't know if there's a connection to vaccines and me being deaf in my ear, but because of the story of my life, I almost suspect that it's possible because it just fits with the rest of it. I saw a cryptid before I was in kindergarten. I also had a weird experience when in the winter I was in front of my house, you know, only child sledding on the street. And a guy kind of tried to kidnap me where he was like, hey, kid, come over here. I got some questions to ask you. And just like, I need to, I need, I really need you to get over here. And I just had a really bad feeling about it. And I, I kind of started like, to run away, but I'm like snow boots in the snow, can't get that away that fast. And he's like, is this your house? And I, I just like ran inside crying. I was like, now this freaking guy knows where I live. My mom was home and we got the guy's license plate and they found him and he had some cover story that he was trying to find his kid in the neighborhood. Didn't make much sense. I think he got caught trying to steal a kid. And that was a memory I always had. So I feel like when you stack up the memories I have, it's like, oh, cryptids are possibly real. Check that off the box. Um, you know, some parts of the medical establishment aren't great for you. Oh, we can check that. Oh, some adults kidnap kids and do really dark things to them. Check that box. I never, you know, nothing ever bad really happened to me, but I got to see these little things and it all comes into play in the conspiracy world for a guy who runs a conspiracy show. Another weird little story is when I was in preschool, I went and got this other kid I was friends with and we were just bored. And I had the idea, this was when we lived in an apartment complex while we were waiting for this house to be built in this neighborhood. I had the idea to go through this apartment complex, go door to door and just say we were collecting money for charity. And it wasn't necessarily nefarious or that I really, I just was like, you know, we're young. We look like trustworthy kids. People don't really lie like this. And I guess I was just kind of playing with reality to be like, yeah, you don't have to, like, not everything you do is, is honest. And I felt bad. I mean, we bought some comic books. I probably got 30 bucks out of the whole thing. It wasn't a big deal. But I checked that box like, oh, not everybody is telling you the truth. You know, some people are playing roles and they're just trying to get your money because you just did that. And uh, I don't know, I guess all those things stacked up. And there's other, there's other elements as well. Things that happened to my, my parents, siblings before I was born, but between my two parents, by the time they were my age, they'd lost three siblings. 
And it was all, a lot of it had to do with run-ins with the machine, you know, run-ins with the police or this or that, but uh, they were damaged by the system to the point that they're no longer alive before the age of 30. So I grew up just completely ignorant, thinking I had this white picket fence life and my parents, I'm, you know, their only kid, I'm their pride and joy, everything's peachy and great, but there's a big reality before I came along of real negative things that affected people I care about. And I don't know, you add it all together in this big soup, and it's not that surprising that I host a conspiracy and paranormal show and have these boxes checked off along the way that says, yeah, you touched a little of this, you saw a little of that, this is real, you know, these kind of confirming experiences. So it does seem like, in retrospect, a well-crafted story. Maybe I signed up for it before I came here. That that was excellent. <laughs> street crud. It's street crud. <laughs> yes. I love the story of the, the charity story. It's so great. It's hard for me to even express that story because I just feel bad even saying it. But that's what I did. I coerced this kid, TC. I was like, hey, let's go around and say we're collecting money for charity. <laughs> these old people were just like, oh, here's these cute kids. Some people asked me what charity, and I didn't have an answer, and they told me to <laughs> were in preschool these are four-year-olds four-year-olds walking around with no parents and a can asking for money like it's messed up i don't know why i did that or or what but it, it was a lesson where i learned that you can't just take everything at face value because if you can do this what you just did think about the world out there and who you can trust and what people's intentions are it's it's remarkably um it's there's just so much insight into a child that is already thinking on this level about how the roles we play and how we can if it's if it's any consolation (laughs) i i frequently frequently like sixth seventh and eighth grade and we had walkathons for bullshit you know uh red cross or the march of dimes i think it was in chicago and my my friend dead tony and i frequently would save extra donation forms not only that we would go collect uh we would go get donations or they call them pledges right people would say oh if you walk 20 miles we'll give you 20 cents a mile and you come back and collect the dough and give it to the school so we we had the forms we would collect and we wouldn't or we would get the donations and pledges rather pledges we wouldn't go on the walkathon and then we would collect all the money and keep it <laughs> of course. Well, and then we went on extra walkathons throughout the year with the extra forms we'd save. <laughs> right on. I, I love it. It, it, it. But it is a valuable thing to think, especially, you know, if you're doing this as a kid or younger people, right? And, and learning these, these roles of identity mm-hmm. and um, the power of putting on the mat, this mask or that mask, set of clothing and playing the role because that's all anyone's doing anyway. <laughs> it's another thing that really made me feel better about it. That just kind of, I heard recently, you know, Jordan Peterson's a popular guy these days. A lot of people have different opinions about his thoughts in different areas. But one thing he said that really resonated with me because I had this story in my head and other things. I mean, nobody's perfect. I've got some, some, some darkness to me. But he says that you can't really be a good person until you've dealt with your shadow self, until you've realized your capacity for evil. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so true because I know people, we all do, who 
are considered good guys, but it's like, you know, this dude couldn't hurt a fly. That doesn't make you good. That makes you ignorant of your ability to hurt flies and then choosing not to do it. That's mm-hmm. a difference there. So I feel like throughout my childhood, I definitely explored my capacity to cause other people pain. And when you realize that you can do that and you can affect people's lives pretty seriously with small actions, mm. you really start to see the weight of your actions and you kind of, hopefully a lot of people, I would think, have that experience and then grow up out of it. And you're like, okay, now I, I'm choosing to do good because I, I know what I can do on the negative. Yeah, it's, this is a major thing. It's, it's, I think it's good to learn about how the cause and effect of actions also, there's some sort of, you know, there's so much science. I, I know you've talked to a lot of people about this stuff too, but how the whole rippling effect in general, how it plays out in our ideas or experience of time space relativity to where we are, you know, um, I, I, I kind of got sidetracked. I forgot. I I wanted to ask you about dead people in your dreams. Did you ever encounter them? Did you encounter death as a in your life? Have you come close to, you know, have you known people that have died that were close to you? What's your relationship there? I have been pretty lucky to have gotten to this age and not dealt with very much death. My, my parents were older when I was born. My mom's parents were both had both passed before I was like five. But here's an interesting thing. My, I didn't find this out until fairly recently, but when my mom's mom died, I was one year old and I was the only one in the room with her. Oh, wow. How about that? That is, that's, that's juicy. Yeah, that's interesting, right? And I have thought about that a lot once I learned. I'm like, this feels significant. I don't know what to do with it. Obviously, I have no memory of it. I have tried to set up an ancestor altar and work with some magic and try to contact my dead ancestors with little luck. And I thought maybe I'd have a greater connection since that was the case. I mean, me being so young and yeah. her, you know, a lot of factors at play. Um, but no, I mean, I... Not that I know of. I mean, like I said, she, I was one. So would I even recognize her? I might have seen a couple of pictures. But, you know, if she reincarnated as the exact same woman and I ran into her at the grocery store, I wouldn't know. So when I have an idea or I think, oh, is this my mind talking to myself or am I talking to a spirit? It's not like someone I would recognize. So who knows? It's possible. In that in that experience with your grandmother, what in your mother's retelling of it, did she? Is there any other information there? Did she say you knew what was going on, or um, you know how did? Is no. there? Do you have any more scenery around that? I think she was just older, and I think she had some type of heart attack or stroke, and I was probably just in my crib, in the room, and. Uh, I, I don't think my parents were like in the next room. I think that maybe it took a minute to get to me. I'm not quite sure, but I just always felt when I heard that, I was like, yeah, file that away because that's so it. She wasn't, she wasn't like expected to die. It sounds like she had something happen, like a heart attack or aneurysm or something fast. 
Yeah. I mean, my mom's side of the family, they play hard. So, you know, they have their fun. So I think sometimes people who party hard go quickly and somewhat unexpectedly, but she definitely lived a full life. Um, but yeah, it wasn't like we were in the hospital. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was not like you guys were you were on death watch. This just happened and you happened to be there. Wow. So the the idea of the synchronicity is even more profound. You could say. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting, Greg. Um, and so on that note, what do you think about ghosts and, and spirits? For the longest time, that was the thing I was least interested in. I thought there were, I was all into aliens. I was into like paranormal creatures and cryptids and even like men in black type stuff. And maybe even things that would be maybe considered ghoulish. But when it came to like dead ghosts, I thought those stories were corny. I never really loved them, even though I did have some friends whose parents would be like, yeah, this is a haunted house. And when you run into people like that, they're so matter of fact about the spirit they might live with. It's very odd, I think. But I'm, now I've definitely come around i think it was just wrapped up in the religious connotation that i just wasn't into the whole thing like oh okay so we have this lame corny model that people didn't finish something and so now they're just wandering around it was just kind of it didn't resonate with me and i still struggle with exactly what's happening but now it's more like we have a parallel reality of a spirit world or a non-physical reality and sometimes they bleed over rather than these spirits are just stuck here until they, you know, tell their ex-wife that they're okay. Um, I don't know. There might be something to that still too, but I just think of it now more as like bleed over from some other realm. Yeah, it's, and, and like with everything else, it, it is, you know, for me, at least where I stand, it's open to ponders and suggestion. And we all have a, as valid of a shot at what it is, right? Um, that's why I like these subjects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, death is the thing I have the least amount of experience with at this point, And I'm really lucky for that. I've had some, you know, people I know have died, but... I would not be presumptuous to say they were in my core group of friends. You know, people have a tendency to over embellish how close they were to someone who died. But I mean, there were kids in the high school days who died in kind of freak situations. And when one of them happened, I did have a feeling like I had a strange feeling. I was with some friends and I was like, you know, I, I think something really bad happened. But then I was, when I found out, what had happened, I was a little shocked and surprised that I just thought maybe that I had a random feeling I expressed and that it was coincidental because I wasn't close to this person. Mm -hmm. And uh, to even say that you had a feeling when they died to me just feels real. Ugh, I just didn't like, I don't like the connotation there. Like you're kind of making it about you when a person just died and you're not even that close to them. So keep your mouth shut. Yeah, it's a, it, it can definitely come off as egocentric or rude even um what about do you have you experienced sleep paralysis i can't say that i have you know knock on wood thankfully i think i'm through the woods of the years in which 
most people get those experiences, but sleep paralysis is kind of terrifying to me. And I'm lucky mm-hmm. that it's never happened. You know, people always say younger people get it, but I still get sleep paralysis and I'm a heavy, I'm an intense dreamer on every night. It's an adventure. It's rare if I don't come back with an adventure and it still comes to me, the paralysis stuff. And, um, and, and, and still it can be as alarming as it ever was, you know, even if I cognitively know that's what's going on. Mm -hmm. Where do you stand with all this, uh, this stuff? Um, like, okay, so this is a little you're in land anyway. <laughs> so where do, where do you stand with the fourth dimension, fifth dimension, all that stuff? It is, as far as I'm concerned, it fits into all this because it states it'd be, of consciousness. It'd be like Tolek stuff. <laughs> old Tolek. I, I, I like Tolek. He's okay. Yeah, I agree. That's where it gets weird because I'm, lately been thinking about the spirit world and the non-physical as like kind of the yin and the yang reality. And then you throw dimensions into it and it's like, well, is the death dream and psychedelic dimension all different aspects of different things? Are they different slices of the onion? So mm-hmm. it's, that is weird. Cause if you're talking dimensions, I think like higher and lower layers. But then if we think, if we talk in terms of spirit world and physical, I think like almost like a left and a right, like a mirrored reality. And I interviewed Laird Scranton recently, who's a comparative cosmology guy. And he broke down the kind of esoteric Buddhist. I mean, Buddhist is a huge umbrella and there's many different people inside there and different groups that have radically different ideas and they don't consider themselves the same. But some esoteric Buddhist idea of the composition of things. And it's almost like, their concept of reality is almost like a helix, like a double helix. And there are pairs of dimensions. And so we are on this helix and we have a coupled dimension of non-physical, but then there are pairs of dimensions above and below us, whatever above and below means in that context. And I thought that that resonated well with me because he talks about time and at some periods of time in certain yugas, we are more integrated with the spirit world. And then in other periods of time, the alignment is off. And that's maybe why we don't see fairies today, why we don't see a lot of the magical things that seemingly used to exist. Or it could just be the way we live in concrete jungles now and have kind of cut ourselves off from those experiences. But you know, I'm, I, I liked that concept. I thought that could incorporate both things. Like I just kind of said about how it's hard to kind of, for me to do dimensions and physical, non-physical, that's the model is thinking to me like a helix where you do have a twin reality, but then there are also other dimensions beyond that. I don't know when you have these psychedelic experiences, if you can go either direction or can go to both that was something i asked laird is this like you know we have all these kind of traditions of indigenous people tripping out and going to the spirit world you know that's a common motif but what about going up the ladder to which he was like well i don't really have any accounts of that from my work and it was just a weird thought but i'm sure if that is the model if you can be so presumptuous as to some reality up in something like that it would be interesting to know 
if that's possible or how different it is. I mean, maybe that's where the grays are. Maybe they're just, instead of the grays being from the spirit world, maybe they're from a different dimension coming down to our point in the helix. What do you think about the idea that uh, the spirit realm is just the subconscious? Or the collective I mean, I subconscious? Open to it. Yeah. I gotta be open to it just because I've interviewed some people with a lot of magical experience yeah. and they're not sure. I don't love that idea. That's like an explanation that I just don't like, but it doesn't have anything to do with how true it is. <clears throat> it's disappointing is what it is. That's what I, when I thought about it for a long time, I was like, this is so disappointing. Right. But it's, it's interesting nonetheless if all this stuff just exists there. It is. I, it is, to, to me, like you said, disappointing is the perfect word. It's just of all the exciting possibilities, it's all in your head is like, eh. But then Lon Milo Duquette wrote that book, It's All in Your Head, You Just Don't Know How Big Your Head Is. Mm -hmm. And then you can kind of get into like projected realities and that the whole thing, even the physical world is a projection from your subconscious. And then you, that's interesting. And then mm -hmm. you get to the point where it's like, kind of like a Truman Show situation where you're the center of the universe, so to speak, and that mm -hmm. everything really is happening around you. Because from your perspective, you are living like that in a sense. We try to remind ourselves to not be so selfish and self-centered, but I mean, come on. At the end of the day, you don't want to experience pain and you don't want to die. Mm -hmm. And you're going to try to protect yourself. And it's, when everything's good, it's real convenient to say that you're all love and light. Sometimes you got to be a dick. Sometimes. Yeah. That's, oh. the, that's, the, uh, <laughs> that's the value of of borders and walls and separation is, you know, not in the, not in a political sense, but they do have some value. Otherwise you can't ever do anything for you because a lot of people will be taking your time and you do have to have some kind of boundary for yourself. Absolutely. Especially if you're sensitive to any type of emotional energy and crowds or things like that. Mm-hmm. Have you so also in this? I feel, I feel kind of weird asking this because I feel like you've just addressed it. However, just for clarity's sake, where, where is, where do you fall on all of the extraterrestrial stuff? Even if it's, um, it, and it is, and when I say that, it doesn't necessarily have to be from outer space. Whatever that is, it can be from. <laughs> inner earth or the water um and you know it some somehow does kind of tie into the fairy folk where do you what are you thinking about all that stuff now after all these years of diving into these subjects well one possibility in that realm that i always thought was also highly disappointing was that they were nazi crafts you know escape nazis went underground, went to Antarctica, and then a few years after World War II, we have you know, this big UFO flap, and a lot of people have talked about things like the Nazi bell, and this is strange anti-gravitic technology, and a lot of the German scientists are working on this stuff. I actually find that to be pretty interesting now. I don't find it as boring as I once did. I think that's in play. I think there are physical crafts that are buildable, that people have made decades ago, and that has to be in play because Thomas Townsend Brown had this shit. Tesla 
apparently was working on some stuff, although it's not quite as obvious as it is with Thomas Townsend Brown. Like, that's got to be a factor. That has nothing to do with uh, aliens. You know, it has nothing to do with these abduction experiences, and it has nothing to do with implants and missing time and being taken on crafts. You know, that's obviously something that's going on too. So I like when one paradigm I like is that they are from the inner earth, whether they're a watcher society that's maybe treated the surface world like a slaughterhouse, some energetic harvesting situation. I kind of am intrigued by the provocative possibility that we are in some kind of farm, energy farm. Like that's just kind of fun to me. And where would these beings be? Well, they would have to be on the, in, the inside of the earth. And if they're on the inside of the earth, then of course we have to think that the center of the earth is a molten core and you can't go there. Of course you have to think that. Maybe that's where the, the concept of hell came from. There's some demons underground. Huh. Well, the greys look kind of like demons. They might be underground. And I also think it's compelling that maybe they're just us from a previous age. We had a massive cataclysm. Some people survived. Some weird people survived. Maybe they changed over time. Maybe the technology changed them. Radiation exposure. For some reason, they might be drastically changed yet still humanoid maybe they're us from a future timeline they seem to be really worried about our genetics in these situations so that's why i think there's some compatibility maybe they are from the future in a time where we've lost the ability to procreate i think that's compelling that would explain why they would come back to our time because they got there's some reason why they care and i think it's self-serving i guess is what i'm getting at cuz that's the commonality between all the possibilities i entertain is that it's not because humans are so special i mean i don't know maybe it is but that just seems presumptuous most people do things for some kind of self-centered motivation so maybe they can't procreate and they want to extract sperm and eggs from some different timeline other than their own or we've always been on an energy farm, something kind of crazy. I love those really out there ideas, but it's hard to say when I've never seen a gray necessarily. Like I don't feel like my energy is being harvested necessarily, but cows don't think they're in a slaughterhouse, I'm sure. <laughs> Probably not. Oh, that's a good way to put that. Um, do you ever listen to uh, Radio Mysterioso? Greg Bishop's podcast. I do. Yeah. Uh I haven't in a long time, but I when I started when I got into this thing, Alex Gorightly was mm. a good friend of mine and he would be on my show quite often and he was always like, "Oh, you got to check out Greg Bishop's stuff." And so through Adam Gorightly, I definitely have. Well, you should check out the latest episode with uh Josh Kutchen about his new book, Thieves in the oh. Night, which is about and they have a lengthy discussion about what the 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 gray phenomena is what their ideas are on it. They're very anti. I'm gonna say they're very. They're. I think they both lean anti ETH. Yeah. So it's that kind yeah. of discussion. It's interesting. I I enjoyed it. Well, there's a psychological component for sure. They're just. It's either technologically based, and it's something that's so outside of the realm of what we understand that it just seems like magic. I guess you know. There's that old cliche. There's that old quote. Yeah. But, Arthur, Arthur C. Clarke. Yeah, it, it could be that. 
it could be that, or it could be something that does have to do with our actual mind or states of mind, perhaps. And maybe we go into certain alpha, beta states, and we just don't even know what's happening. Perhaps there's some kind of energy suck. There's people who say that's possible too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Tim, that guy, Tim Refat, if you ever heard of him, he's crazy. <clears throat> yeah. uh, psychological warfare expert on the planet, apparently. I'll get you a link for him. Yeah. Sounds oh. like a guy I should interview. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, Joshua Kutch and I love, and uh, he did hit me up about a new book, and I'm really intrigued by it. So I definitely, as I tend to do when I'm getting ready for a show, is listen to their other interviews. That Greg Bishop one is definitely going to be on the list. Yeah, and there's one, not to, not to harp a show, but there's another episode, I think one or two before that, with Dave, David Perkins about cattle mutilations, which is more of your alley. Huh. So you might want to check that one out, too. Very interesting. That's a phenomenon that also kind of like, I never put a ton of, I wouldn't say I didn't put stock in it, but I never gave it much attention. I was like, oh, okay, so obviously this is some kind of ray gun and it's fucking up cows. Okay. <laughs> That's um, not hard for me to process, and it doesn't seem like it could be much else. I mean, I'm sure there are more nuanced views, but it didn't seem that odd to me on the surface for some reason. I just never felt that it really needed serious exploration. It just something I almost took for granted is like, yeah, why, why wouldn't that happen? Why couldn't that happen? Right, and I, I think a lot of people just went into it with the idea that uh, it was aliens, it was UFOs because there were weird lights around. So they've already had this preconceived notion of belief that it's alien, so they're going to try and find that proof when it could, you know, it's a great cover for the military of Flounder. Oh, absolutely. Never and discount the nefarious military. <laughs> Big Pharma. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. It's all the same thing, I think. <laughs> Our governors, it's and I mean deep. that in the bigger sense, not like the state governors. Yeah. Those that govern us. Fearless mm -hmm. leaders. <laughs> I, so... I wanted to, um, I, I kind of, this is kind of where I like to wrap up at least this kind of, this section of the show, uh, is what do you think, and so since we've been talking about death a lot already, I, I want to just kind of come into waking life. What do you actually think this experience is? What's going on with waking life? Hmm. Obviously, that's one of those million-dollar questions. If I had to guess, tying it in with some of those things about destiny and that the story just seems to fit, I sort of think we might pick this before we come here. I think I'm a reincarnation guy to an extent. Uh, I definitely don't think we live one life and then we never come back to the physical plane and we're just infinitely in the spirit world. I just think that's kind of doesn't make sense to me. I think this is kind of a recycled situation. It's just too well designed to have like this blip on the radar experience. I think we're going through this thing like a merry-go-round. And to what extent we choose our experience, it is tough to say. And I think there's some slippery slopes of thinking there that justifies some of the shitty things that go on on the planet. People get in their heads like, oh, well, we don't have to do anything about the millions of people starving in Africa uh, from empire-induced poverty because they chose that experience. 
And they probably had all the good experiences already and just wanted to experience something rough. Uh, I, hear, I hear people talk like that. And I think that is kind of uh, not the best way to go about life, not the best model for making this side of reality as great as it can be. There's always going to be a range of experience, even if you make it a little less drastic. So I don't know. I think I am one of those people that thinks that reincarnation is real, that we at least somewhat pick out our path before we come. And then that's kind of the, the system. But then we have this big conspiratorial machine on this side of the fence, and it is kind of hijacked what should be an amazing, fulfilling experience. And instead, it's got us kind of limited. It's all about kind of containing us with this nine to five job and by limiting our economic mobility and our optionality in that regard. So, you know, money's not real. These stupid jobs aren't real, but they're the most real thing in our lives and they affect if you can enjoy tomorrow or not. But that's all, all, all artificial. So that's kind of the weird. I think the system's been hijacked and who knows for how long and there are some reasons to suggest like the Solabushka Tarashi deck that the reason the elite care so much about their bloodlines is because they've made spiritual packs to keep reincarnating in the same bloodline of the elite with which they rule you know the pieces on the chessboard that's kind of a weird thing but i like the model that we come back into multiple time frames multiple lives i did go to a past life regressionist once and it was a pretty powerful experience it wasn't necessarily conclusive to me but i definitely thought the the reality that i saw in my head the uh the visualization aspect was very intense and clear and specific, which is kind of not normal for me, I guess. I don't think I have imagination problems, but it's definitely not usually as vivid as it was that day. So that's another reason why I think I'm compelled to believe in reincarnation and past lives and stuff like that. But what do I really know? What do any of us really? Yeah, right. right. I mean, that's the fun of it all. If we stop being so serious sometimes. <laughs> so on, um, kind of, I guess, in the conspiratorial section here, um, what are your thoughts on the cabal that's running things? That whole scenario. The the narrative. Yeah. Well. Part of me does think they know the real deal, that they have kind of jailbroken the life experience. And they've figured out how to probably manifest within their own controlled circle. And I just think their reality is far different from most people's. And I think they got a handle on it. And that's why they're in the position that they are. And they limit us with those same you know, levers of economic pressures and nine to five jobs and just all that shit. And we don't live the experiences that we came here to live. And that's the problem. I think there's a real problem there. Maybe it's has to do with advancing to the next stage of life, the next spiritual hierarchy or whatever. And we can't do it because we're just so distracted with the TV and all these things they've given us. I think that's a possibility. Uh 
I just remember, you triggered me to remember something. There's a guy on YouTube called the Galactic Historian. Have you ever heard of him? Or oh, I have not. Interesting cat. But uh, he talks about bloodlines of the, the Cabal family, the families, right? The families that everyone talks about. But the reason that they keep the bloodline um, intact and, mer- and do all the inbreeding and whatnot is because their, their genes, uh, un- they break the, the forgetting. They don't forget their past lives. So yes. they reincarnate into the same family with all the knowledge they had previously and all the wealth and everything else because it's the same family. And it's, it, he calls it like time skipping. Because well, essentially that's what I'm it saying. is, yeah. When I say jailbroke this reality, that's kind of what I mean. I'm very open to those possibilities. That's, that guy seems like a great interview as well. Oh, I'm trying to get him too. I'm trying to get him on my show. Yeah, he's pretty interesting dude. I haven't heard him say anything like, you know, the world's going to end next week and Nibiru's on the way. <laughs> yeah, everything he talks about is in the past and it's historical and obviously impossible to verify but they're great <laughs> stories exactly mm-hmm. so okay let's let's have some more woo woo too so this is one of one of my favorite ponders is what are your thoughts on space all that that's allegedly above us or mm-hmm. around us I don't trust NASA farther than I can throw them. I don't think the moon landing was real. I had some guests who are very spiritually inclined. In fact, one interview is not even out yet, but it's coming up. And the guests are two guys, Neil Kramer and Niles Heckman. They made a documentary together. Well, Neil Kramer, in the second hour, I started asking him some of those questions. I was like, hey, you know, Niles said you might be open to the hollow earth idea. So I got to ask you about it. And then we get into what is the sun and what is the moon? And he took me on a journey where he's talking about how when he astral projects and he sees the sun for what it really is, he sees it as more of a soul portal. And it is not a giant mass of gas. It is not a nuclear furnace out in space. It's more of some kind of portal, maybe to the other side. And that's intriguing to me. I really like concepts like that, but I just don't know if they hold water. I mean, I'm really too ignorant to make those kind of determinations about space because you get in these conversations with, let's say, flat earthers who have this philosophy of if I can't see it, then it isn't real. And that philosophy is not going to hold up in all cases. There will be things that are real that you can't verify. And so to just say no to everything, to me, is like flimsy logic. But I think something's up. Is it possible that the planets and the moon and the sun aren't what what we're told they are? I think it's possible, but I'm more of like an electric universe guy, if you're familiar with the Thunderbolts project. Yes, yes, love it. Yeah. I, I'm more like an ether guy, like an ether physics guy. I think it kind of dovetails into anti-gravitic craft technology and just this fact that it's all very natural, but there is a quarantine around certain aspects of physics and they're not taught in schools. And so the schools and the sciences have a box in which all the rules work for the most part. Some of them, you kind of got to twist them and make them fit. But within the box, everything works, and they just don't ever look outside of that box. But there might be a whole 
chapter of ether physics and a whole medium of space that isn't explored, qualities of electricity that are not on the radar. And I'm kind of more in that wheelhouse. I think it's too big of a stretch to think that space is not real or that the earth is flat, all that kind of stuff. I appreciate the philosophical argument of, you know, the middle finger up to everything you've ever been taught. You know, I like that punk rock attitude, but I mean, if we're being serious, I don't know. I think the furthest thing out in which I actually entertain is something like what Neil Kramer expressed that maybe the sun is some type of portal and that whole like tunnel of light thing that people see looks quite a bit like the sun looks. So I don't know. Maybe that's even simplistic thinking, but I like the provocative nature of that idea. I, I pull up to the electric universe. It just somehow fits yeah. for me into a lot of stuff, into alchemy and that whole, that whole inner journey. It just fits for me. I don't know how else to say that. Is, there, there's this guy on YouTube. His, name is, his channel name is Theoria Apophysis. And he's got this, he has come up with a theory of magnetism and it's completely different from what, you know, they teach in school. And he's got tools to prove it. He's proven, you know, with math and everything. So it's, uh, put the link in chat. Oh, that's not you. Yeah, I was, this would be, got, this guy's got some really cool ideas and it's all based on having, that what we call magnetism is really just an effect of a dielectric field which inhabits here. It's more like, uh, I guess it would be like the ether. So the ether interacts with magnets and that's what makes them pull together. It's got nothing to do with the uh, magnetic field. Hmm. Yeah, it's really pretty interesting stuff. Seems somewhat in line with the Hutchinson effect. I'm sure you've seen those videos. Those were pretty popular a few years ago. I don't think so. Oh man. If you haven't, you should. Uh, the Hutchinson effect, this guy, I think his name is John Hutchinson. He's Canadian, I believe. He started working on some of this stuff in his lab, and he has videos of him levitating many different objects. He seems to think, you know, I'm simplifying. Oh, I'm familiar with them, yes. If you find the frequency and, or the density of certain objects, you can take away their weightlessness or counter it. You can counter it out. So, you know, he could lift water out of a glass but not lift the glass because these are two different densities or two different materia and that you know he lifted a bowling ball and it's kind of convincing i mean their videos are there they, yeah that's, that's early internet stuff that's almost, it is old school it's yeah. almost like the uh coral coral castle guy right yeah and yes that, that frequency thing and that's edley canton or something yeah yeah he that story is fascinating too mm-hmm I saw in the chat that Jerry just sent over this question about archons. Yeah, that's, I've got that on my question list here. Okay, cool. I wasn't going to okay. ask it because it was going to take forever. I didn't want Greg to have to give an hour-long explanation. But yeah, no, um, I walk asked what, what, what's your take on the archons or the concept of? Oh, I like that Gnosticism stuff. The idea that the Demiurge... I mean, that's kind of, when I think of the archons, the, the opening to that whole idea is that God is a negative entity or the creator of this world is a lower level God. Because, you know, like I said, I grew up Catholic. So yeah. you think there's only one God and it's the creator of everything. And then here's this Gnostic perspective that, no, the creator of this physical world 
isn't even a good God and he's not even the highest God. He's just a low level God. And those kind of things make sense to me because I think oftentimes you start thinking that there's like this one thing and then you realize, oh, that's just one of many. You eventually come to that understanding. So that's kind of why I think it kind of fits a, a pattern of understanding that I've seen in my life. But archons in general, I think of as like maybe like the seven deadly sins or the spirits, the, the, the demons that kind of rule over those seven deadly sins and kind of ride humans to make bad decisions. And they're probably most attracted to our elite. And the elite might even have a more conscious connection with them. But I guess that would be my thought of them. Is, and it's largely out of ignorance, just a concept that maybe they feed off different types of sinful energy or negative energy. Maybe they just drain people when they do negative stuff. But I think of the Archons as just like a pantheon of negative entities. And one of them created the physical world. Do you think, so kind of in this vein, do you think it's possible to unlock the code in this waking experience that has us trapped in short lifespans that is maybe perhaps, I mean, I understand that it's also in our, whatever fuckery has happened in genetic history, but there's also a lot of talk about it in all the old tomes, including the Bible. Um, and I, I've just always been curious about these super long-lived people, beings that seem to float around in these old tales. I agree. And, and some of the archons are tied into that. Yeah, I also hear that expressed a lot with Anunnaki talk that, you know, these creators, like also ancient alien type stuff is basically like, I think of archons as almost ancient aliens, but with the spiritual twist. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, we've been limited we only can see certain spectrums of light we have limited senses we maybe even had our hemisphere split there's people that uh lump that in as a possible thing that the archons or the anunnaki have done to our vessel i like the idea of that i, I i'm really drawn to kind of these big epic stories where we are so dominated, it's not even funny. Like the whole slaughterhouse idea. Like you think you're free and you have zero idea of how ironclad the control on you is. It's spiritual, it's emotional, it's everything. It's physical if we're talking about like what light spectrum you can see. And I'm intrigued by those kind of ideas. But I'm with you. I think it is interesting and that we've been genetically kind of dampened down and maybe we could have longer lifespans maybe we could see all aspects of the physical or the light spectrum and i think it can be jailbroken that's what a lot of meditative practices and magic and entheogen use and really cultivating your shamanic sense i think that kind of stuff helps but yeah yeah it doesn't really filter into where people are living 300 400 years yeah Although I don't know what those Tibetan monks are doing. They don't really. Care. No, I know. There's, there's a lot. It's like deep water. There's areas we have no access to of people that where some of these stories come from, you know, parts in, in China. And um, it, it is, you know, one of the things that I'm constantly 
saying, I've been saying my whole life because it's been obvious my whole life of being, you know, conscious to the, the world around me is that we are slaves. I don't know why people cannot grasp that. And, and there's so many ways you can, you can push against the idea and you, and it'll always come back that you are somehow a slave in this experience one way or another. And if you want it just to be, you know, more, uh, more vague and subtle and less manipulated, then it's the, you know, spectrum of light where we only see so much of it. And, but then it can go all the way down to deep rabbit holes of being completely and utterly controlled and beyond just taxation and all that. And I, I find it, it triggers a lot of people. Is it the word slavery? I mean, what's, I think it's a great way to put it. I agree. It is a great way to put it. I think some people are just turned off by the idea. Maybe they can't handle the crushing concept that we're slaves in some kind of fully controlled matrix. But it doesn't really bother me, I guess, because I mean, I feel like I still enjoy my life, but so do a lot of things before their day of slaughter comes. When isn't that part of isn't that part of the the board game? Like it, it, you know, they always say it. It's in a lot of a lot of writing in certain books. You know, in, in like Forty Eight Laws of Power, all, all these sources will talk about keeping you know keep people happy, just are happy enough, right? Oh yeah. And and then it's fine. It's when you start pushing too far, too much, making it too uncomfortable, and I think that I put this in here because it ties into age. I think that one of the downsides to having people live long lives, if you're coming from the perspective of an architect who's messing with genetics, is the longer one lives, the more one actually starts to question too much repetition mm -hmm. and too many synchronicity, synchronistic events that would allude to the fact that you are on a wheel, you are in a maze, this is a labyrinth, and, and you have less control than you actually think you do or did at some point. Um, and so there's a, there would be a real reason to drive a shorter lifespan of, 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 of a race of, of your cows or chickens or whatever. I mean, you know, chickens are productive daily with eggs for three years. And that's usually when they get slaughtered, they go to the pot and then they become a chicken, you know, roasting, looking delicious under those lights at the grocery store, you know? Indeed. So, I mean, there's like, there's a lot of method to this. And um, it seems like everywhere you start scratching around, there's a possible dot to connect. Mm -hmm. and 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 controlling the age limit is a very big factor in my opinion i agree i mean i'm 33 and i think wow a third of my life is over i feel like i'm just getting started and yes i think that time frame is conveniently right in that window of like how how long can we suck energy from these beans before they get too woke <laughs> Is it 200 years? No, 200 years is too much. You know, we're gonna, <laughs> yes. we're gonna burn the system down, start again. And the six cataclysms, maybe that was all the fine tuning. 
Right. Well, then there's that. That's a real broad stroke, long-legged view, right? And and even good government, I, I don't want to say good, and I don't mean it in like they're great governments. I mean, intelligent people governing, like the Chinese government thinks in terms of gener- 100 years and generations. Yeah. Uh, and And so when you're thinking longer term, and not sweating the shorter term stuff, you, it, it can, every, the whole picture takes on a whole different hue, cast of, I don't care what this generation says as I'm taking away this from it because their kids' kids won't even have a concept of it. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. It's, can, it's pretty, like, if that's the way you want to think, the reality fits into it nicely. So, I mean, I'm all into it. Yeah. And it's just a ponder. I like these things. It's another reason why I love your show. (laughs) (laughs) There's no way to know. I know. I think you gotta, you gotta consider everything. Yeah. Yeah. And that's our theory here on Noxman day two. Everything is on the table. We will literally talk about anything. And it's great that now more shows exist where that's the case, because, you know, we talked about THC has been going for a long time about seven or eight years and seven or eight years ago, there weren't a ton of podcasts. They existed. There was enough podcasts out there for me to know I could do a podcast and I could read about how to make it work, but they weren't that prevalent. And now it's like the main way I interact with the world. I mean, that's not only my own guests, but I'm always listening to other podcasts. And when I do hear the news, because I, on a daily basis, when I'm trying to see what's new in the world. It's always that I go to YouTube because Netflix and Hulu, that shit doesn't change on a daily basis. So Mm -hmm. I'm trying to see something fresh. I go to YouTube and when I do see a news headline that catches my eyes and actually gets me to watch something that's from CNN or whatever, I'm always shocked at how like empty it is. It's very shallow. And I'm like, these are adults and these are, this is the best you got. Mm -hmm. This is the most thoughtful you have. Like you're talking about how many ice cream scoops a president got, or <laughs> I know. You know, it's it's really ridiculous a lot of the times. <laughs> Obama wore a brown suit and doesn't look good. Like, what are you? You're a 45 year old man. <laughs> like, how about the Mark Rubio with the in the big chair that went around the, two years ago? You remember that? Oh yeah, yeah. It took me a second, but I'm that's sorry. another one of those just ridiculous things. Um, one I think is actually quite funny is the Trump handshake, how he fucking <laughs> knocks everybody, drags everybody to the ground with his handshake. I think that's so funny. With his uh, tiny hands. Right, with yeah. his tiny hands. Well, it's, it becomes like a game, and it's like other world leaders know he's going to do it, so they're resistant to it, and then they pull him. And it is just such a bravado thing. But we are, we are just all these monkey robots and like you can kind of you can figure us out with like trump figured out the handshake and he probably throws a lot of people off with it and then it gets exposed and now there's no power in it but he's stuck doing it keeps doing it and people aren't fooled by it now everybody's laughing at him i like life and just the little weird nuances but that's definitely not newsworthy in this world i mean come on I find it, I get, I get actually kind of sometimes, not in a real sense of this, but I feel it's insulting sometimes that when you do tune into, um, I guess, the, the mainstream, I, I don't know what the word would be, but mainstream covers it. 
like that, a, that MSLSD is, or CMS. Yeah, yeah, yeah MSLSD. <laughs> that that the, that's the level of what's occupying the attention of people. That this, you know, because it's obviously it's being consumed as well as being put out. And um, you know, I mean, it's like how, I can't even imagine for one second caring about the royal wedding that happened i didn't even know it was like all periphery for me and and then you know breaking down all that stuff and minute by minute it was it's it it, it blows my mind i'd rather watch the as a as the world turns or something mm-hmm. <laughs> you know anything i yeah again royal wedding i just recently had to go back and look at some of that stuff because i had I have an upcoming guest who is going to kind of make some conspiratorial points about maybe some certain signaling or certain symbols that happened during that time. That's interesting. But even just to get there, I've got to go and relearn who these people are. I don't know who the hell these people are, uh, how they're connected. You got to digest all that context before you can even get to some interesting symbolism type stuff. And it is just right. ridiculous. That is the, and I agree, Greg, that is the, that there's the juicy rabbit hole stuff. Like what's actually going on behind the scenes of this big charade yeah. and all of that. Another thing that's always on my mind at all times is, is it, when I'm in a dream, lucidity, things that call me into being awake in the dream are things that stand out or off. And so when things in waking life get really absurd and weird, I, I tend to ask myself, am I dreaming? And um, I try to always come from that perspective anyway. It just, it's more interesting to me and um, it, it seems really fruitful. But in the absurd nature of everything right now, it's a constant like, are we having a, a group mass hallucination or dream? Because everything seems, at least in my lifetime, a little more absurd than it ever was. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's the nature of having now Doug too deep for too long that everything's going to be synchronistically strange and i'm always going to see geometry everywhere what do you think about that things are definitely weirder than ever we have a reality show president anthony weiner can't <laughs> keep his weiner <laughs> off the internet bernie Madoff made off with everybody's money i mean these are characters <laughs> that's like a rhyme and yeah. our government appears to be completely corrupt and can't even fix itself yeah it's everything's absurd absolutely and absurdity is good for business i like uh this guy ed from the out uh, his channel on youtube is called the outer light he calls this mirror world he has this report every day from the daily rabbit hole for mirror world it's pretty funny <laughs> yeah but it totally is i have a yeah. question i have one more question for you sure um it seems like jack parsons has been in the in the fray lately I've just heard lots of Jack Parsons stuff coming out lately. Um, and that TV show, Strange Angels, on, have you seen that? I know of it. I haven't watched it. What's funny is that before I ever knew that was a show, I went to the library and I checked out two books on Parsons. I checked out Strange Angel and Sex and Rockets. And I read Sex and Rockets, and then I was like, okay, I, I know enough. I don't need, I had to return the books, and I was like, I don't really want to read another book right now on the same thing. And I'm kind of like kicking myself because I'm like, man, I wish I would have read the book that turned into the show so I'd have that context. But 
I'm probably going to end up watching it. It's just that I know I'm going to be disappointed, I think. They're not going to go that deep, in my opinion. They're probably, it's on CBS, I believe. So It's on their cable access, CBS All Access. I don't know what it's, what it's called. It's, it's, I think you get it by paying a subscription fee outside of cable. Uh, so well, I imagine they're going to scratch the surface of things that I would really want them to dig deeper on. And that's going to be enough for most people because that's just, you know, most people don't go down those rabbit holes. So even going halfway down is going to be interesting. I, I'll, I'll probably watch it. I'm, I'm glad it exists, I should say. I mean, there's a lot of dumb shit on TV. I'm glad it exists. I just think for me right now, it's like, I've talked to a lot of guests about Parsons' life and the Babylon working and mm-hmm. his involvement with L. Ron Hubbard. And it is really crazy the names that come up in that story. L. Ron Hubbard, Crowley, Jack Parsons, like, mm-hmm. what the hell is going on? But I get um, 1947. Let me tell you something, 1947, too. Yeah. I, I just heard something else. Someone died in 1947, but I didn't know. It doesn't matter. Um, I think 47 be... was a crazy year. It's the year our reality changed. Uh, <laughs> the um, Parsons thing. Strange. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised if you set aside the biographical information that you know. That's cool. You've been watching it? I have. I have. And I mean, the fifth episode. It's the fifth episode last week, and they showed his, his peyote, his first peyote trip in the desert. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I, I get weird, and then I have strange. I think it's, again, my rebellious nature. I get. I get real like hipstery about conspiracy stuff and like, I don't want to digest the mainstream, but I did watch that show Woodward or Wormwood. Wormwood. Yeah. Um, And that was pleasantly surprising. I was like, Oh, come on. I know about MK ultra and this is just going to be about some guy who killed himself jumping out of a window in LSD, but it was actually quite deep. And I'm sure strange angel, once I actually started, I'll feel the same. Yeah. It's, it's decent. It's not bad. And I saw, it was a Peter from, uh, Scarlet was bitching about it. It sucked. It's like I get it why it sucks, but it's still interesting. Just, just <laughs> I to haven't see it seen it. Out. I'm I'm equally as curious. I didn't realize that Peter Gray said it sucks, and I have the same expectation that that Greg does with this. I mm-hmm. feel like it's going to totally be glossy, and um, and so I'm actually curious to watch it to see what aspects of the story they push because I've been a longtime lover of that story and those people and all that stuff as you know long being in that general worldview for so long it's going to be interesting well i like that it's not far from me i mean i grew up in missouri i made the pilgrimage to california i'm very happy and fortunate to live here i feel like this is a place where things happen and missouri is not and i just like to be in the stream and Pasadena is not that far. One of the live shows I did for the Higher Side Chats was in the oldest comedy club in the country, the Ice House in Pasadena. And it's like, that's pretty damn cool that JPL is right there. And mm-hmm. these experiences, I mean, we're talking about the Babylon working, going out to the desert and trying yeah. to burn a child. I mean, I've probably been in that desert. Yeah. Oh, me too. Yeah. It's all close. Well, Marjorie Cameron's from Iowa. I'm from Iowa. I find like, and I've spent a lot of time down in that part of California. It's all like, once you start lining up synchronicities with stuff you're interested in, that in and of itself becomes its own personal rabbit hole. Yes. It's, um, yeah, it's deeply interesting. Did we get any more questions, Jerry? 
No, I was looking up this article to show Greg. So last year there was a tube explosion in London. Hmm. It was near London, or it was. Okay, I'm sorry. There was a, a bomb or something that went poof. I don't know what exactly it was. I don't remember. So many bombs these days. Yeah, I know. It's I hard know. to keep track it's, of. <laughs> so track of all the mess. <laughs> this took place at a. It was called Parsons Gate. Green. Parsons Green. Sorry. And the hero was Peter Crowley. And uh, one of the women <laughs> in here's name was Hubbard. No way. Way. It was so crazy. Oh, that damn. stuff happens, man. Here in a goddamn. I know. I mean, how? Come on. That is just. That's. I mean, I'm speechless. But I'm going to show you. It's crazy. Maybe this, these spirits recycled lives. Her name was like La Lauren Hubbard. I, I'm seeing that right there, that the guy, Peter Crowley, was the guy who was involved <laughs> with Parsons Green. <laughs> yep, you got it. That's it. Wow. That's juicy. <laughs> yeah, That's, like, you know, and it also kind of plays into the whole AI narrative. Of this, you know, of of recycling information and these yes. narratives, it's you know, there's a lot there to dig into. All right, here you oh, go, yeah. Lauren Hubbard, who lives in Parsons Green. L. <laughs> <laughs> <Elle> Hubbard. L. <laughs> Hubbard. <laughs> oh wow! I mean, come on, Chris Wildish. I'll give you the link. Anyway, I thought you get a kick out of that. Oh it, yeah, it keeps Thank echoing. It, the echoes were strong. Indeed. Sorry, folks. Thumbs up with that for sure. Yeah, it's uh, we're, we're it's all the stories have played out. That's why nothing new is coming out of Hollywood. It's like uh, we're in reruns. <laughs> we are in reruns. <laughs> I like that. That's all I got. So, all right, and you've checked the chat for any new questions. Yes, woman. Yes. Yes, yes. Ma I just like yes, to make sure mistress. that everyone get it right. That's what I heard. Yes, mistress. <laughs> I just like to make sure that everyone gets them out. Sometimes it's like um they get lost. And our core group is so tight, they're always there. There's a lot of people in chat tonight. Of course. Well, I got them all. On. We're good. I know. Right on. It's gonna be it's gonna be huge. Okay, great. That's it. I got nothing. No more questions. Thank you, everyone in chat. Thank you, Greg, so much. If you want, to, do you have anything to plug outside of your show or your show even? I mean, not really. The show is called The Higher Side Chats. The first hour is free. You can sign up for a membership to hear the second hour. Not the most ideal situation, but we're in a Rockefeller Rothschild debt-based system of rule. Got to do something. Well worth it. Well I also make t-shirts. I don't make them, but I sell t-shirts at thehiresideclothing.com. And that's pretty much my whole world. I almost wore my uh, Obama Illuminati shirt tonight. <laughs> There's and also just for people in the higher side chat this on your show, I personally go to the website. I don't even do the YouTube anymore. And and Greg had actually mentioned that a while ago. And it's so much easier and it takes up less bandwidth if you're on your phone. Um and so it's always seamless. I've never had a problem on your website, Greg. Oh, that's good to know. Thanks. I'll give I'll buy the similar guy a beer. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. Uh, come back next week, and we'll have uh, Geraldine. What's her name? Geraldine Orozco. She's a meditation guru.
in California. That should be interesting. So everyone have a great night and we'll see you next week. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Craig. Thanks, guys. This is a good hang for sure.